Well, so last week I talked about the five major types of nativity characters um, about that, re that related to angels and the faithfulness and how these people were sort of hijacked by God to bring about uh, God's uh, plan. That from Genesis 3.15, he had a plan, a clear plan, at least according to us, what he communicated to us, that, that he was going to find a way to compensate for the fall of humankind and for the device and the the designs and the evil of, of the enemy who seeks to separate humanity eternally from God. Uh, and this is all his work. And so there's been a, great, a greater work done and that through Jesus Christ. And, and in that work, there were a number of people involved, but it seems to me that within the, the, the nativity story itself, uh, that there were five primary ones, Zechariah, Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, and the magi. And uh, in all of those characters, uh, there seem to be some unifying themes. I feel like a Bible professor when I say it. There are these unifying themes when we're talking about, you know, just, uh, just some things that just don't go away. But uh, in any case, uh, so in, in all these, 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 these five people, five characters, five types of people, there, are, there is implied faithfulness and piety. Um, they're just something about them that makes them unique for what it is that they do. Uh, faithful responses per angelic appearance. Um, now, there's no evidence that the angels, uh, that Gabriel appeared before the Magi, but something happened in the Magi's life that probably had some kind of angelic origin to it. So, uh, so but, but when that happened, there was always a faithful response in each of these cases. Um, each of these people served a particular role or they took on a particular role. They, they did something that was unique to them and because it was unique to them, probably it should be unique to us as well that all of these, these different things as we've uh, explored two of them last week anyway, they should be found in us as well. It's not just that they should be found, it's not that they, they just occupy themselves in the, in the nativity figures, but each of those nativity figures that, we've talked, that we will talk about in whatever way they made a contribution to the nativity story, we should probably be making a similar kind of contribution in our life as well. I think there's some parallels there that are important to pay attention and to incorporate in our life and faith. So um, every one of these people were called by God. Each of these people represent a type of person. They served in a special capacity that promoted and advanced the presence of Christ within the world. And as I said before, all five types should be manifested in the life of the Christian. So let me ask you this question. You know, uh, if these people could be sort of hijacked by God vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, an angelic messenger like Gabriel, what about us? Might there be a time in our life where God hijacks us has God ever hijacked you? I mean, in each of these cases, especially when it, when it came to sort of like Zechariah and Mary and Joseph, uh, the description of each of those characters is what they were adjust, they were just and they were good and they found favor with God. Could it be that sometimes God doesn't use us as much as he would like to use us because that can't be said about us enough? Does, it, does that make sense to you? It, it just can't be said about each of us enough. 
that we just don't, we aren't quite as righteous as maybe we could be in order for God to use us in a way that he would prefer to use us. I mean, uh, because I don't, I don't think that God, I'm not sure that, well, I'm not sure. I don't think that God sort of uh, uh, takes you over and forces you to do certain things that you're not inclined to do. Um, I think that we have true autonomy. And I think that God wants us to be motivated intrinsically. I think he wants us to do stuff for him because we want to do those things. Not because we're afraid, not because we might get rewards, but because it brings us joy and fulfillment to do for the Lord what we want to do. But that joy and fulfillment can only be there when there is the commensurate amount of righteousness and goodness. Does that make sense to you? All right, so to the degree that those things exist in our life is to the degree that we are capable of doing those things for God intrinsically. And then God sort of looking at us and say, you know, you've been faithful. You've been good. You've been obedient. You've been righteous. And I have this thing here that needs to get done. I'm going to pick you. I'm going to ask you to do it. Now, we may not get an appearance of Gabriel, but we might get a strong leading that that's what it is that we're supposed to do. I don't know, um, have any of you seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge? It's kind of like, uh, there are sort of some brutal parts to it. Uh, I mean, it's just, you know, some realism in terms of what war, but here's a guy who, you know, he's, he's um, He's a pacifist, he's a Christian, he's a pacifist, um, and, but he, he wants to aid in the war effort, he just doesn't want to shoot anybody uh, to aid in the war effort, and so, um, and so he wants to be an army medic. And, uh, and the army sort of doesn't know what to do with him. Uh, this is World War II, and so, uh, in this court scene where he's about to be court-martialed for not obeying orders, like picking up a rifle and, and uh, training with it, he, he, he argues this. He says, you know, in a world that is falling apart because of all the evil and violence that's taking place, all I want to do is help put some of that back together again. And I just don't think that's such a bad thing. Do you? And it was very articulate, the way in which he said it. But he felt called by God, um, and he was a good man, and he had a good heart. And, um, and so the army really didn't think that he would be of much use to them, but they made him an army medic. And as, the, as they land on uh, the island of Okinawa uh, to fight in a particularly terrible place, it's up about a 150-foot cliff and then on a sort of a plateau area against the Japanese, he gets stranded there overnight and trapped during the course of the night by himself. He lowers, is it 70 or 80? 77, 77 men down over a 150 foot cliff by himself. I don't know about you, and I'm kind of a big guy, but dro just dropping up one guy down over a cliff by myself would be traumatic enough. And he wasn't a particularly big guy, 
but it's a true story. And here's a guy who, because he believed what God was calling him to do, and because he had a good heart, there were 77 men and their families who were very glad that he obeyed the calling that God had given to him. When was the last time you were hijacked by God so that he could use you in a remarkable way? So just real quick then, the first two people that we talked about last week was, was the first was Zechariah, who was the father of John the Baptist. And, um, and you, as you know, Zechariah and his wife were along in years and old, and they thought they were way past childbearing time, but God used them in his time to give them a son named John. And what we pulled from that, or what I pulled from that and shared with you in summation, was that their faithfulness and devotion allowed them to be the parents of a man who went on before uh, the Lord and, and really softened up enemy territory in such a way that the gospel could be received through Christ uh, in a more amenable manner. And so John, and in fact, in fact, Jesus, uh, Jesus places a very, very high premium on the work of John. Um, and, uh, and so here are two faithful parents who raised a son uh, who did a great work for the Lord in terms of proclaiming who he was. Do we as parents, as grandparents, as family members, invest in the lives of our children? Have we arranged our lives in such a way that we can help produce young men and young women who are capable of, of proclaiming the Lord to the world in that kind of way. I think that's a fair parallel uh, that we can draw from. So, um, and so then the next person that we talked about was Mary. And, uh, um, and what we extracted from that, just in summation, was this, that here's this probably 14-year-old girl living under Mosaic law with 1,500 years of the tradition of the elders. And by the way, remember I've talked a lot about the tradition of the elders and how onerous it was, how painful it could be, how it hijacked the true spirit of the Mosaic law. And so here's this 14-year-old girl who is now pregnant, living in that kind of a culture, that kind of a society, in a community that would not look favorably upon her in that way, believing that she would have been unfaithful and promiscuous, rather than all of that sort of terrifying her, her, her response to the angel Gabriel was simply this, I am the Lord's servant, may it be as you have said. Now you know, today, if you live in a community that threatens to, to pick the ichthus fish off your bumper, right? Uh, you can either be offended or terrified and say nothing about Jesus because somebody might persecute you. But here's a woman who, who knew that her very life could be in question by being pregnant out of wedlock um, in that kind of a way. But she, didn't, but she was courageous and her righteousness enabled her to say, I am the Lord's servant, may it be as you have said. She believed, she had faith, that God would work through whatever those, those, uh, whatever those sort of community kinds of things that would have, would have been going on that might have blown back on her. 
She believed the Lord would work that through. I am the Lord. Look, I'm just saying to you that of all the kinds of things that we can put over top our doors or in our windows or hang on our walls, um, you could take that quote and put it on a plaque and hang it on your wall. And it should be just as poignant and just as powerful and just as meaningful um, as, uh, as Joshua's statement about this is the Lord's house, we will serve the Lord, or whatever it is. I am the Lord's servant. May it be, Lord, as you have said. I mean, in, in light of all of Scripture and the commands that have been given to us and what it means to be obedient and what God calls us to, what God has said He wants us to do, can we say, like Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be as you have said. I think that's plaque material if you ask me. Okay. So, um, and then the other thing that we extracted from uh, our description about Mary was that in the same way that Jesus was born through Mary into the world, so Jesus should be born, carried through our lives into the world. I mean, at one time, Mary was nine months pregnant. It was clear that she was bearing a child, and that child was Jesus. Are we pregnant with Jesus in our lives? Are we nine months pregnant with Jesus in our lives? Is it obvious that we carry Jesus in our lives? Am I taking this uh, metaphor too far? You see what I'm saying? I mean, so, I mean, you normally know when a woman is nine months pregnant. And there it really can't be anything else. You know what it is. She has a baby inside of her. Is there's so much of Jesus in us that we are swollen with Jesus. And it's obvious that Jesus is in our lives. And so he is born in our lives, carried in our lives as well. So uh, those were some of the things that we, that we talked about in relationship to Zechariah and Mary. Now we come to Joseph. And Joseph has this dream, and it's from Matthew 1, 19-25. And so if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn to that. Matthew 1, 19 through 25. And uh, the apostle records the following. Verse 19 of Matthew 1. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, because Mary had just told him, she said, hey, um, I'm, I'm pregnant. I didn't do anything, but I am pregnant because uh, the... The Holy Spirit, the angel Gabriel, said this to me. And so uh, Joseph is sort of mulling this over. And, uh, and then so verse 19 we have, Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had a mind to divorce her quietly because that had been an arranged marriage. But after he considered this, and that's interesting, because he, he considered this, yeah, so, but after he considered this, what he was going to do, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, 
That would be the, the, the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and he took Mary home as his wife. So apparently they got married fairly soon. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. Now, so when you think of Joseph then, in terms of his response and how, you know, I mean, he's thinking, I'm just this carpenter. I just want to get married. I want to live this relatively simple life. Um, but that's not what God had in plan. In fact, it was probably Joseph's righteousness that, that it's probably precisely because of that and the fact that he belonged to the line of David that targeted him. The, in other words, your goodness gets you into trouble with God sometimes, okay? Your goodness is what sort of hijacks you to do something that you would not have done normally. And this is the case of Joseph. Because of who Joseph was as a person, God wanted to use him. And he was, this, he was just this pauper. He was this very simple guy. Mary was this very simple woman. But they were good, and they were righteous, and they were just. And God wanted to use them in this way. And so, um, rather than divorce her quietly, he took on this role as servant and protector, and provider and partner, so that the Lord could finish his work through Mary. Um, and so this was a, a whole new layer, or layers, that made his life infinitely much more uh, complex and difficult. I mean, you will recall that they had to go to Bethlehem while she was pregnant. Then they gave birth there in Bethlehem. And then from there, uh, not long after that, they had to flee to Egypt because Herod wanted to kill um, Jesus. And so they fled to the safety of, of Egypt for two or three years and then came back later on. Uh, but Joseph gave up a lot of his uh, normalcy and, uh, and he took on really the role of a sacrificial servant so that God's work through Jesus could be completed. So let me ask you this question, because if you're like me, every day I wake up and I have my plans. I have an idea what I think I need to get accomplished, and oftentimes I pray about it, consider it, and mull over it, and all those kinds of things. But I don't always get to do my plans. Because sometimes I get hijacked, not usually by angels, but by people. And that's okay. That's part of what I'm supposed to do. And I'm fine with that. But there are many, many opportunities, and I'm sure I don't do it as perfectly as I should or could or whatever, but there are many opportunities when I can say, no, I'm not going to allow myself to get hijacked by this person. And sometimes I shouldn't allow myself to get hijacked by this person because there's a greater need that I have to attend to before that. But the truth of the matter is, is that when we serve the Lord, when we live for the Lord, that oftentimes we have to be ready for Him to call us to something that we hadn't intended. Not, e not even in terms of some big, large-scale thing, but in terms of everyday work. I remember uh, this past fall, um, I was going to wash my truck late in the afternoon, and so I had the hose connected to the side of the house, and... Um, and I pulled the hose, and the entire 
pipe broke off on the side of the house, which meant that, and I don't know, Gary, you might know this, how many gallons per minute would that be coming out of there? A lot, a lot of gallons. <laughs> so there, I told you, it was a lot, yeah. A lot of gallons in between our two houses. Now, the interesting thing about that is there's really no place for that water to go. It's going to hit Marianne's side of the house over there, and it's going to collect on my side of the house. And in a very short period of time, do you know where that water is going to go? In everyone's basement. That's exactly right. So I panicked. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. I'm clueless about that kind of stuff. And so, um, and so I called Rocky Locker. Now, I was not on Rocky's agenda for that day. I got hijacked, he got hijacked. That's exactly right. He got hijacked, and, and I, I mean, I really, I mean, I, I did something stupid. I just tried to get some, some cloth and stuff and duct tape and you know, try and slow the water down at least a little bit. But Rocky knew exactly what to do. And within an hour or so, uh, he put, uh, was it a pressurized, what do you call that thing? He turned the valve off first. He turned the valve off first. <laughs> I, yeah, that's right. Because I, I didn't know where it was. So I know where it is now. Rocky was so patient with me, <laughs> he really was. But in any case, but he was hijacked, and he was so gracious about it, and so nice, and really, qualitatively, it could have really impacted my life. It could have impacted Mary Ann's life. Um, and he was driving home from work after being there on his feet the entire day. Um, and I don't even think he got home, but he came straight to my house, and he helped me with a pretty significant problem. I'm very thankful for that. And there are those people in our lives that, you know, uh, maybe through no fault of their own, maybe through a fault of their own, uh, something bad happens and we have an opportunity. And we have something more pleasurable, something more desirable that we would rather do, but we don't do it because this is a greater need. And so, um, and so you know, the Holy Spirit speaks and we obey and, uh, and people's lives are changed because of that. Um, Joseph, as I said, was a very simple guy, and, uh, but he was called to a magnificent work. And I think that there are probably more of us in life that would be called to a higher and even more magnificent kind of work if we're open to it, if our heart is right. Uh, so if we are called, are we willing to give up our plans? our good and normal everyday plans to serve Christ sacrificially through our lives. Are we willing to do that? Then, of course, we have the shepherds. And so um, in Luke 2, verses 8 through 15, and I always think this is, you, you know, uh, Luke is so good. You know, Luke is the gospel that really pays attention to the, the outcasts, the socially marginalized, and things like that. And, so, and that's what the shepherds were. The shepherds were outcasts. They were outcasts because they were always dealing with animals. They were always dealing with animals that they would have to sort of tend to or, 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 or um, um, butcher. Um, and they always had, they were dirty because they were always around animals and manure. And so they were always, always, always ceremonially unclean. And I don't know if you know this, but many Pharisees owned a lot of sheep. I mean, they weren't paid for being a Pharisee. They had, the Pharisee was sort of like a, 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 it was an advocation. Their real work was that they owned land and they owned sheep. 
but they would not work with the sheep. They hired shepherds to work with the sheep so that they as Pharisees could stay ceremonially unclean, or clean. So these shepherds who provided the animals to be sacrificed in the temple where the Pharisees worshipped could never go to the temple to worship because they were always ceremonially unclean. Now, don't you think that's kind of incredibly ironic? And the Pharisees were always okay with that. And so Luke makes this very sort of uh, this very poignant point here, and we read in Luke two verses eight through fifteen. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Christ, the Anointed One, the Lord. Verse 5, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off. And found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And so Luke makes this very particular point that, um, that there's this Savior who has been born and that the angels are sent specifically to the lowest of the low in that culture and in that society. And invites them to come and to worship the Lord. And so uh, it's, it's important for all of us to remember that the Lord cares about the people who are socially marginalized, people that the rest of the world don't, don't care about. He cares about different races. He cares about different socioeconomic groups. He cares about people from different ethnicities. All of those people, He loves the same as He loves us. And so we are called then to love them in the same way that He loves us. Now, ironically, and I'm running out of time here, I'm just going to jump over uh, and say this. Isn't it amazing that you have, uh, you have the Magi, for example, who are called uh, from the east. So it was probably a very large entourage. The, Mag the Magi were astrologers, and the best astrologers came from the east. And so the, and so the very best of the world's astrologers felt this calling to come and to worship this Jewish king. And so they came. But, but, but before they, they got to Jesus, they went to Herod, who was part of the, the aristocracy. He was a ruler. He was a king. And in the same way that they, because it's, it's amazing, they said, hey, we, we came to worship this, this king that's going to be born. And Herod's like, what are you talking about? Well, we read the stars, and the stars have told us that there is this king who's going to be born nearby, and we're, we're trying to find him. Do you know where he is? And so the Bible says that Herod and all of Jerusalem were very troubled by this. And so Herod commissioned scribes to find out where this king was supposed to be born. And the scribes knew that the king was to be born in Bethlehem. So Herod told the Magi, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. They knew the king was to be born in Bethlehem, but they didn't care. So God sent the Magi to the aristocrats and their response was, 
either I'm not interested or if you're Herod, let's kill him. But the response of the shepherds was, let's go and worship him. See, that's maybe sometimes the values of the world in which we live in. We have to be careful. But I do want to say to you that God still sent the Magi to the aristocrats. He cares about them too. I often get concerned about how we play these games in our world today as if God only loves the poor or the disadvantaged, but He doesn't really love the wealthy and the affluent. That's just not true. And that's simply not true in the Old Testament. And that's not true in the New Testament. It's where a person's heart is. It's how they are obedient to God. That's what matters. And sometimes God blesses people in that way and He expects them to use their blessings. But we have to be very careful about who we say God loves and God does not love, just as Luke was saying that in his particular gospel as well. So I'm just going to wrap it up then and say to you that these are five remarkable characters. And so when you think about then the, the, the shepherds who left their sheep untended to go and worship the Savior of the world, are we willing to leave those things that are precious to us if God calls us to in order to worship Him? Or the Magi, for example, who made, really, who were attentive and who heard God speak to them, even though they were in a place where God shouldn't have spoken to them. And, and, they, and they, by faith, really, traveled all the way across half of Asia to find this king that they knew very little about. Would we do that if we felt compelled in that kind of a way? Would we give our best the frank gold, frankincense and myrrh, gold for being a king, frankincense for being a priest, and myrrh for his burial? Would we do that? These characters are great characters, and they are models for us about how we should live our life as well. Every one of those characters should be present in our life as Christians this Christmas season and throughout the year.